Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen, amen. Hey, would you give the Lord a hand this morning? Hey, and before you're seated, do me a favor, turn to someone near you and say, I am so glad I'm near you this morning. Would you do that? Just thank them for being here, encourage them. Even if you weren't really excited they're here, I want you to do it anyway. Great to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to two passages of Scripture. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's actually where this new series that we're um, going to be hitting the next few weeks together called uh, The Essential Gospel. We're going to be kind of headquartered out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but we're also going to go over to John chapter 10, verse 10. We'll be looking at both of those today as we begin kind of a new focus on the essential gospel. And really, my heartbeat is simply this. I have noticed that it is not really culture, but, but the culture of the church around the country, how there is a drifting away from the necessity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so many who call themselves believers in Christ that, that would say that Christ is great and he's a wonderful model, but we've kind of lost the essentiality of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I just thought, man, it'd be good for us to go right back and to plant once again how important the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really is and why it's essential for our very lives and our relationship with God. And so over the next several weeks, as we're working together, we're going we're gonna to take that on in our study time. Um, I, uh, this last week on Thursday, got together with some of the pastors and leaders from around the area, do it every Thursday. Uh, we got together in the city building and we we're praying over our city. And when I came in, a number of them had been at our Awaken conference this last week. And they had uh, mostly been here either in the evening services or on the Monday and the Tuesday morning service. By the way, just had great weekend services and man the whole week just kind of built with an anticipation of what God was going to do and a number of the pastors in the area who I was friends with I invited them they came and were part of that time and they were so encouraged so when we came in we spent like 15 minutes just chatting about how the Lord had spoken to them through what Corey was sharing how the Lord was challenging them in their own churches and we had a great time sharing I had one particular guy that when I walked in, I'll just, I'll just Pastor Bill over at Hillside. When when he when I walked in, he said, "Oh, Phil, I'm so glad to see you." And uh, Bill and I are good friends, and and uh, he uh, um, and we do pick on each other a little bit once in a while. But um, he he I came in and he said, "Oh man, can I just tell you?" And he was thanking. He said, "Man, God bless you, Colonial Woods, for for bringing in Corey and for allowing us to be a part of that." And I was so excited, and I'm just thinking, "Oh, this is really good." And so I uh, I said, "Hey, thanks," and I was going to go find my seat. And he said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you want to hear the bad news? I said, bad news? He says, yeah, I shared good news. Don't you want to hear the bad news? I said, okay. And, and so he said, while I was there in those evening services, I kept thinking to myself, I, Pastor Phil looks like somebody I know. And he said, I finally figured it out. And he pulled out his phone and he showed me this. And I'm not sure if it's because of his countenance or his good looks. I'm not sure which it is. And what's really irritating to me is the more I look at that thing, I kind of agree. And so anyway, so you can turn that off. I go to somewhere else besides that. Now, good news, right? Do you ever get a little suspect? You hear good news, right? And sometimes it's, let me ask this. How many like to hear the bad news before the good news? Do you like bad news first? 
Some of you do? Some of you do? I always feel like good news is kind of like the dessert. So if I can get the bad news out of the way. How many like to hear good news first? Do you like to hear the good news first? Okay, well, most people like bad news first. Sometimes when you hear good news without understanding the bad news, it really bothers you because you, you, you imagine horrible things. For example, um, somebody says, hey, good news. The fire department's almost done at your house. What? I mean, that, that's not good news, and, and, and you don't know what they're there for, and it could be worse than you think. And um, Hey, good news. The doctor said the scar isn't going to be that bad. What? That's not good news. That, that bothers me. Uh, hey, good news. Uh, we can fix the road for 45 cents a gallon. Too, too soon? Is that a little too soon? <laughs> okay, we'll cut that off. That probably shouldn't be out there. I'll probably get nailed for that one somewhere. But yeah, so you always want to hear what you want to hear. You want to hear the news before the news. And sometimes when you see good news, you don't understand why, why it's good news. This is, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be frivolous here. I just, I remember, I, I've always had a weird sense of humor. And I see funny where there's probably not funniness. And um, when I used to drive from uh, Napanee, Indiana, down to Bloomington, Indiana, for college, we would always go through Kokomo. And I often would take people who lived, I mean, we'd, we'd ride share. And they'd throw in some gas money, and I had this little Chevette, and we'd go back and forth. And uh, I, I remember one time we were going, and I had a, a, a gal that was friends of mine, and we were going back and forth. And when we were going through Kokomo, it just said, Jesus is the answer. And it just flippantly, I looked over her and I said, I don't even know what the question is. And she started laughing and all that. Sometimes if you don't know what the question is, you really don't know why the answer is that good of news. If you don't know what the bad news is, you really don't know why the good news is that good. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is church, speaking to the church of Corinth. By the way, if you want to see why it's important and how essential Easter is to, to the believer, boy, go read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says it is at the very heart of what we believe. And he says this, now brothers, and I assume sisters, he says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The word gospel, by the way, means good news. Say good news with me, would you? Good news. The word gospel is used like 93 times or so in the New Testament. Uh, the word good news, the phrase good news is used like 27 times. and Somewhere like 123, 24 times, one of those two phrases is used. And, and <clears throat> by the way, that doesn't even include like how many times it says this message we preach or anything. So over and over in Scripture, they keep going back to the message, the good news, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says this. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. That's key word. Circle it, underline it. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. I'm not going to read any of those rest. I'm going to stop right there. When I read that passage this week, it jumped out at me. By this good news, by this gospel, by this message, by this truth, you are saved. Say from what? He's giving us some good news, but unless you understand the bad news, it's really hard to understand why the good news 
is so good. So if we go over to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus, in one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, Pastor Corey last week, I think, alluded to it in one of the, at least couple of the services, where Jesus is trying to help us understand some essential stuff of life. He simply says this in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Um, I like the King James. The King James says, but I. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can we say that together? Let's just say that verse together. Here it is. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You've got bad news and you got good news in that passage. Now the bad news is that there is an enemy of life and he has a name, he's the devil, he's Satan. You can call him Lucifer, you can call the enemy of your soul, but Jesus says that there is actually an enemy of life. And as he's beginning to help us understand that, he, we could take our time to kind of talk about the ploys of the enemy. One of the things that I always think about when you're, when you're talking about how the devil schemes is that he always makes something look good when it really isn't good, and he will always masquerade as something that's positive, and it's not positive, and he will always speak lies. That's fascinating to me. If I were to ask you what your native tongue is, most of you would say English. Some of you, maybe because of a culture, you might have a different uh, 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 vocabulary that you learned young, or maybe maybe you're from another country, so you have a little bit of a different uh, language. But most of us sitting in this room, we'd say English is our native language. It's interesting, Jesus, when he talks about Satan, he says he always speaks in lies because he is the father of lies because it is his native language. So when the enemy is speaking into your life, he is always deceiving and he's always lying. And it's interesting the bad news or the needs that every person has. By the way, we all have needs. Now, these aren't the only needs we have, but there were four needs that I wanted us to kind of see because Christ, really, the good news, the gospel deals with these needs. And the first need that every person has dealt with in one way or another is, is bondage. Bondage, which just simply means this. I am trapped by my own hurts, hang-ups, and my habits in life. There are so many things that just kind of hold me captive in life that I want to be free of, but I can't seem to be free of. Now, when I say that, you may immediately think, oh, you mean like addictions and, and drugs or, or sex addictions or pornography? And that, so that can be it, right? But there are so many. Um, we, uh, we're getting ready to relaunch uh, Celebrate Recovery. And uh, one of the things that's exciting about, yeah, okay, there's three clips. That's good. That's all right. You can clap. That's good. That's all right. Let's give some encouragement there. And we're, we're building. We're building that team right now. And what's interesting is that I remember when we worked through Celebrate Recovery before, that hurts, hang-ups, and habits, that's why I specifically use that, is that it's not just dealing with the addictions that can dominate our life. It's the wounds that can dominate our life. It can be our past that dominates our life. It might be relationships that dominate our life. All of us have areas, I will say this, everybody has hurts, hang-ups, and, and, and habits in their life. Everybody does. And we think that we can just somehow suppress them out of our life, build them, and we, we, we struggle with that. And it's like, man, am I ever going to really be able to change? I, I, um, I had a, 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 
phone call yesterday, actually last evening, um, of, a, of a guy who passed away uh, from our former church. And uh, the pastor had reached out to me and said, hey, the family wanted to make sure. And I remember this guy. Man, I remember, I remember some of the struggles in this guy's life. And there were some struggles. By the way, I, I also saw some of the victories in this guy's life. But, but I just remember the frustration, whether it be in their marriage or whether it be in some of the chemical addictions he had or some of the struggles that he had with alcohol. He just seemed to dominate his life. It's amazing how many of us have those areas of our life that we're just, we're like we're in bondage. I just can't ever seem to get past these things. Another area of need is emptiness. And how I describe emptiness is just simply this, is that I feel so alone and empty, there's nothing that seems to fill me. Um... I read a quote from St. Augustine, which I thought was really interesting. He's speaking to the Lord. It's a prayer to the Lord. And he says, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. It's the restless heart. It's the stirring in, in us that's just where there's a restlessness, an unsatisfied heart. And he says, and it can only find rest in you. Uh, Pascal, who was, a, who was a Catholic theologian, but he was also a mathematician, kind of a genius guy, he said, all men seek happiness. This is the primary motive for every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. The infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, God himself. It is a universal truth that the fact is, is that there is an emptiness that will only be filled by Christ himself. And yet we oftentimes, everyone, everyone knows what it's like to sit in a room full of people and feel alone. And I'm fascinated because when I watch, when I look at society, um, I'm not making fun of them, I'm not even picking on them, but it's interesting watching Hollywood. It's interesting because you will watch individuals who on the screen, everything is great. In every, um, every interview, they're awesome. They're on, right? They are on. And yet, how many times in their private lives do we realize there's this emptiness that just simply consumes them? Uh, the one that, um, I, I got to tell you, a couple years ago, just floored me was Robin Williams. Now, you can think what you want of Robin, and I realize he had some off-color stuff, but I just thought the guy was funny. I mean, Mork from Ork, I, or what's that, what was it, Mork from Ork, Nanu, Nanu, however he did it, I can't remember anymore. I was young, you know, I, I really was at one time. Uh, I was young, and I remember that was on, I thought that was great, I'd watch that show, and I kind of watched that guy, and I, I, I loved it when he did the interviews. He was crazy. When that guy was with, it didn't matter if it was Johnny Carson or Jay Leno or whoever it was, that guy was nuts. And he'd get up there, and he just always had such personality and he was so always so entertaining and he was always and, and then for him to take his life a couple years ago and then to reveal that he went through incredible seasons of the darkness of the soul and I thought to myself gosh when you take the mask off there's just empty and you may not feel it to that degree but every person that old hymn of faith all my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that would somehow satisfy this burning that I felt within. Oh, hallelujah, I found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. He satisfies, and there's this emptiness we deal with. 
That's bad news. Let me give you the third one. The third one is just simply a sense of hopelessness. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's the hopelessness that comes from the fact that I know that in the end, we're all going to die anyway, so who cares? What use is this life? It is this, it's this feeling of hopelessness because, man, if this is all there is and you come to the end of it, i got to be honest, I, there are things that I would think about as a kid that just haunted me. And I recognize we're sitting here today and we talk about the glory of the resurrection and we, we talk about the fact of heaven, but what if you don't have that? Imagine that. In fact, some of you don't have to imagine it. It's where you're at. You have no sense of confidence in that. And that is a lonely feeling. That is a very hopeless feeling. There are individuals that they, they absolutely claim and they will, they'll persist that God does not exist and that when we die, that is it. That is all there is. And I think to myself, I know they sit there in the middle of the night and try not to think about what happens as the clock ticks down. I'll be honest with it, I don't like the thought of it too much and I got the hope of heaven, you know. And, and the fact is, is that it's a hopeless feeling. And that's not new, by the way. When, when, when the author to the book of Hebrews wrote, he said that, that Satan has kept us captive. Hebrews chapter 2, he says uh, that Jesus came to free those who their entire lives were held captive by their, uh, uh, held in slavery by their fear of death. Let me give you the last one. It's bad news, and you're saying, man, get it over with, would you? The last bad news, and frankly, this is the worst one, is that I'm broken. There is no way that I'll ever be forgiven of the stuff that's happened in my life. I have messed up so bad, I have gone so far, there is no way that I could ever be free of my guilt. By the way, I know exactly what that feels like. I've often wondered, um, is it worse and I, I, I guess I have a theory on it, but I've often wondered, is it worse to have grown up and never heard anything about the Lord, or is it worse to have grown up and heard about the Lord, but be completely running away from Him? Now, I still think I'd rather hear about the Lord, but, but the fact is, is that both of them are very lost feeling, and that was me. I will tell you, before I became a Christian, I did not live as a Christian. I, I, I have struggled at times after becoming a Christian, but I definitely didn't live like a Christian before I was a Christian. And I just remember sitting there with this sense that I don't think I could ever be forgiven. And it wasn't until I heard another guy tell his story, and I, I'll be honest with you, I sat there comparing myself to this guy and thinking, wow, he's worse than me. And, and because he was worse than me and he talked about forgiveness, I thought, well, maybe God could actually forgive me. And I realized God doesn't grade on a curve. I get it. But, but I was kind of doing that as I was thinking about it. And I just remember how helpless I felt. In fact, I will tell you what. Everything here, broken, hopeless, empty, and even under bondage, I felt that the night before I came to Christ. Guaranteed it. And that's the enemy of our souls. And by the way, that's been the condition of humanity. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the enemy lied to them in the first place, deceived them in the first place, and they fell into temptation. That has been the condition of our souls. That is really bad news, isn't it? In fact, you're probably right now saying, if you close right now, I'm going to slap you. I want to hear some good news. Let me give you the good news. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus says this, I have come that you might have life. Say life with me, would you? Life. Doesn't that sound cool? You may have life and have it to the 
full. I love that phrase, and I love that because Jesus is the author of life. And life is, if I don't want to take too much time on this, but, but in the Greek, there's actually two words for life. There's the word bio or bios. That's a, a Greek word for life. In fact, uh, most of you in school took biology. Um, if you know what a biosphere is, it deals with um, the existence of life, of physical life, um, even the extensiveness of life. And what I mean by that is the longevity of life. It's physical life. That is not the word that is used there. It is the word zoe. And the word zoe means the, the intensiveness of life. It means the, uh, the quality of life. So when he says, I have come that you might have life, he is not saying, I've come that you might have a long physical life. He is, says, I have come that you might have an intensiveness of life, that you might have a purposefulness in life, a fullness of life. That's why he says, and have it to the full. Uh, the Amplified Bible says it this way, and it's actually, it is actually a great translation. It is, I have come that you might have life and have it super abundantly. And he says, let me give you some good news. In fact, if you're here this morning and you know someone who, the, the, the four, I just met, it just describes them, I got some good news and I got some great hope for them. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning, and you came in for whatever reason, maybe you've been on a journey, maybe somebody invited you today, and you're feeling what I just described. By the way, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I know exactly what that feels like. Let me give you some great news. Number one, Jesus is promising you. He says, I promise I will carry your guilt. You don't have to carry your guilt anymore. Not just your sin, even the guilt that comes from that sin. You don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to carry that weight. I never understood what people said when they talked about it. I'd, I'd hear preachers say this, that when you give your sins to Christ, when you ask him to forgive your sins, it's like this heaviness comes off your shoulders. I never understood that until the night that I met Christ. And I am telling you, whoosh, they came off of me. Jesus said, or John said it in 1 John chapter 1, he says, if you confess your sins, that means if you admit them, if you acknowledge them and you take ownership of them, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive your sins. Say forgive with me, would you? Forgive. The word forgive means to release the debt. He will no longer hold the debt over you. He says, he will, he will forgive your sins and cleanse you. Oh, I love that word. That means I'm going to change you too. I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to wash you while I do it. He says, I'm going I'm to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's great news. I love it in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul says, or chapter 3, where Paul says that when Christ he forgives all of our sins, not just some of them, not just, the, not just the ones that aren't too bad. He forgives even the ones you don't want anybody to know about. I mean, let's be honest. There's sins that we don't really care if people know because they already know it. I struggle with anger. Tell a fib now and then. Those are, those are simple sins, right? I know they're not in God's eyes, but for us, it's okay. It's socially acceptable. It's the deep stuff. And it weighs us down and it, it holds on to us. And he said, I can forgive those too. The unspeakable stuff in your life, I can forgive that too. 
you'll have to carry that. And I told you about that guy that passed away. The guy's name is Todd. And the reason they called me is that I remember when he and his wife sat across from me at their kitchen table and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And all that stuff in his life was forgiven. All that stuff in her life was forgiven. I have to carry that. That's the good news. Good news number two. Good news number two. Jesus, and I'm going to say it this way on purpose. I will change your life. Not I can change your life. I want you to understand. I want you to hear this. I will change your life. I, I got to be honest with you. I get a little tired where we talk about knowing what it is to have our sins forgiven and we're just the same old mess we always were. I'm sorry. That is not the gospel I understand in Scripture. I'm not saying that you have it all together. Oh, forgive me on that. No, I don't mean that. But what I mean is, is that when you invite the Lord to come into your life and the Word of God says that the Spirit of God takes up resonance, you now become the temple of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, if the temple of if the Spirit of God is in your life, He is going to change things. All right? It's like inviting your mother-in-law to come live with you. She's going to change stuff, right? She's going to move some stuff around. It's just going to happen. When the... I just equated your mom with the Holy Spirit. I just realized that. She's, and she's watching right now, isn't she? I, I, I love you, Red. I do. I really do. Um, <laughs> no, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he's going to change things. And, and, and that bondage we talked about, I promise you, he's going to begin to break bondages in your life. Now, the reason I say that is in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, how many of you is in anyone? Raise your hand if you're in anyone. All of you are in anyone, right? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The Message Bible says it this way, you have a burgeoning new life. So he is going to begin to break areas of bondage in our life. Now, does that mean every bondage is immediately gone? I have found that's not normally the case. I knew a guy back 20-some years ago, a guy's name is Rod. And I will tell you, Rod had, man, he had stuff in his life. This guy was probably 28, 28, 9 years old when I was friends with him. And this guy, this guy had addictions in his life. He used to tell the story. He wasn't proud of it. He was, he was into any drug he could get. He didn't care what the drug was. In fact, he talked about one time just because he was so desperate to get some kind of a buzz where he actually sniffed laundry detergent hoping it would do something. I'm sure it did something. I don't think it did what he wanted. But it, it was, he was, this guy was just broken and in bondage. This guy on top of that had tra uh, alcoholism. This guy, he looked at 28, you'd have swore this guy was 59. I mean, he just was skin, uh, skinned, turned colors, he was already wrinkled. I mean, this guy was a wreck, and when he came to Christ, God broke bondages in his life. That, that alcoholism, I'm not saying he was never tempted, but he had victory over alcohol. He had victory over, and you're saying, well, those are the big addictions. Let me tell you, anything that is a bondage in your life, Christ wants to deal with. Do you know the one thing he could not seem to get over? And it's going to seem silly to you. It was cigarettes. 
That was the one thing he still, I mean, the entire time I knew him. The guy struggled with those. And, and you're thinking, come on, dude. I mean, cocaine and, and uh, 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 crack and all that. How in the world, alcohol, you, you can't beat cigarettes? And we never, we never did that. We just looked at him and said, man, God has done so much in your life. How about we let God deal with the rest of the stuff, right? It's not our job to clean people up. We kind of come along, right? But God does that work. The Spirit of God is able to do way more than we ever could. And we oftentimes think we got to get people cleaned up before they can come to Christ. It's the opposite. They're not going to get cleaned up until they do come to Christ. And I remember in his life how he struggled with that. And I remember in my life, when I came to Christ, he did such big things in areas that were, now they weren't the same areas that dominated his life. I will just tell you though, I had a couple of areas and one of the biggest ones is he completely changed the way I looked at life and success. I mean, it really set up the, the avenue for me to someday become a pastor, although it was just several years later when I sensed that call. But I mean, he completely changed what had been dominating my life, which was just greed and money. He, dominated, he completely changed my mouth. He completely, there were so many things he completely changed, and yet there were areas of my life that it, it didn't seem like I got victory over. I, I cyclically struggled. It's not that I didn't have the ability to overcome them. It's that there were areas that I struggled, and I struggled for years and probably still do in some way. And I remember I was probably a believer for about 10 years, and I was frustrated, and I was so mad. I was talking to some guys, and I said, man, I'm so mad. Lord, I am so frustrated. Why do I still have these areas of my life? And I was reading in God's Word, and you know how sometimes the Holy Spirit, how God gently hits you with a two-by-four? <laughs> I mean, He hits you, but it's not as hard as it could be. And I remember, I remember I was reading about Paul, and Paul was praying. He said three times, I prayed that God would remove this thorn in my flesh. And when he prays, I don't think Paul just said, hey, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and take this away, Lord. No, no, no. I think he cried out to God. He went on a prayer and fasting. He wanted the, and people say the thorn in his flesh was probably poor eyesight. Well, I hope not. I hope it was something way deeper than that. I, th I hope it was a character issue. I'll be honest with you. The reason is, is that I want to know that a super apostle struggles with stuff too. I don't know if it was anger or lust. I don't care. I just, I, want, I hope he struggled with some other stuff besides his eyesight. And the Lord's answer to him pounded me when he said, I beg that God would take this away. And he said, three times the Lord answered the same way. You probably know what the answer was. My grace is sufficient for you. In fact, later on he says, for my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And the Lord really spoke to my heart and said, Phil, first of all, I didn't remove all of Paul's stuff either. But look at what I did in your life. That area or those couple areas that you still struggle with, every day you ask me for strength and every day I show up. If I took everything out of your life all at once, you wouldn't even need me anymore. And I want you to know, Phil, and this is exactly what he said, Phil, I want you to know you will never be at a place in your life where you don't need my grace. And by the way, can I just tell you, there's not a person in here that doesn't still need his daily grace. 
And that's the great news, right? That's the great news. He says, I will change your life, but I will, I will still be changing your life 50 years from now, 60 years from now, 70 years from now, because you'll always need me to change your life. It's good news. By the way, good news. He said, um, I'll change your life. I'll carry your guilt. Um, I'm going to fill your emptiness. I'm going to fill your emptiness with myself. And it's interesting when the Lord fills us with himself, how he deals with our sense of purpose and our direction and our life and our meaning. In fact, in Colossians 1, Paul says that everything was made by him and for him. Everything. And so when we look at our purpose in life, our greatest purpose is literally just to serve him. And you might say, well, what a small purpose. That doesn't seem fair. My purpose ought to be bigger than that. No, no, no. Understand, God takes us on incredible journeys. Wonderful roadmaps. Sometime I'll tell you the roadmap story. We're not going to be able to have time for it today. But God, God has wonderful ways of directing your life. But it is always for his glory. And he says, I'll give you a sense of meaning and purpose that you just didn't have. And then the last one is, is because I'm going to be your forever hope. See, hope doesn't end when I come to Christ, and hope doesn't end when this life ends. What he says is simply this, is that not only am I going to give you life, but I'm going to give you life. That there's a certainty, that's the power of the gospel, right? The power of the gospel isn't that you can just make it through today, it's that there's, you have every day. The power of the gospel is that, not that you just get over one issue in your life, but he's going to constantly be breaking burdens and bondages in your life. The, 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 the gospel, the, the great news about the gospel is that your sins are forgiven, you've got a meaning and a purpose in life, he's working in your life today, but there's all of eternity ahead of you. And I'll be honest, I mean, you've heard me tell the story about my dad. I, not many of us are really wanting to die. And that's okay, I'll just be honest with you, because we were made, we were made to live. God didn't design humanity to die, he designed us to live. That's the aching of our souls, right? And, and I remember with my dad, we were talking before he passed away, and I, I, just, remember, I just remember him saying, Phil, Phil I'm not afraid of death what happens later I'm just not looking forward to the process and I said dad none of us have choices about that do we but the wonderful thing is is that we know who waits for us that's the good news I'll go further that's the great news I'm going to invite you to stand if you And I'm doing this on purpose the way I'm doing it. And I'll tell you why. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, invite you to come and to pray. And number one, I'd be shocked if there's not every single one of us have one person that we know needs this gospel. And it can, be a, it can be a sibling, it can be a, a spouse, it can be a child, it can be your parent, it might be a neighbor or a close friend. Every single one of us, all of us know a Rod, all of us know a Todd, all of us have those people in our life. We all know those people, and the Lord is probably right about now bringing a name or two. I've got like four of them popped up like that last night. 
And I'm going to invite you who know the Lord, who understand this, to come and pray for them today. Why? Because um, while I believe that we do have a choice, I believe that God gives us a will, uh, the fact is, is that Scripture says that unless the Lord draws, no one's going to come to Christ. Unless the Spirit of God is moving in that person's life. And you know what? You might say, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Can I just encourage you to pray again? And you may need to pray a little desperation and brokenness in their life. And you might need to pray, pray a little hopelessness in their life. And you might, It's okay because that brokenness and that hopelessness and even that emptiness is what brings us to understanding who Christ is. And so I'm going to ask you to come and to pray. And there's a reason I'm asking you first. Because the second group I want to invite are those who are standing here and you're saying, I need this gospel. And I know how hard it is sometimes when you're in a new church or maybe you're not used to this to come and to kneel. And so you get a little fearful. And so when you see other people who come and kneel and you already see them kneel, it's a little bit, it's a little bit less intimidating. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite our prayer partners to come forward because I want, I want them to be available if you happen to want to pray with somebody. And then what I would like to do is that if you have somebody that's on your heart, I'd like you to come and pray. And I'd like you to lift them before the Lord. And then I'm going to invite the rest of you, if you just want to come, we're just going to sing a little bit. And as you come, we're just going to come before the Lord and just call upon His name today. So Father, thank You. Thank You. Thank You for Your graciousness. And thank You that You love us. And thank You that You pursue us. And thank You that You are the giver of life. And I really believe that there are divine appointments that are here today. First of all, just simply to pray for those. It's not that we don't pray for those that are lost, but there are some that have very specific individuals that you're bringing to their mind. And I just believe that when you put somebody on our mind, that's the time for intercessory prayer. And so, Lord, we're going to pray right now. And I also believe there are divine appointments because I think there are some that are here, whether they, um, whether they have a mask on or they don't, or whether they're new to Colonial Woods or not, but Lord, they recognize they're the ones who need to come and pray for themselves and invite you to come in and to oversee their life and to, and to rescue their marriage and to rescue a sense of hopelessness. And so they're going to come to you. And there's never any shame before you. If you're feeling shame right now, that's, be, that's the enemy who is whispering a lie. Because I'll tell you, when you humble yourself before God, he never, it's never shame. He may convict, but he'll never shame you. And so, Lord, as we wait upon you, would you come and wait upon those that are seeking you today? In Jesus' name. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.